When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Has the buck topped here? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Mark Chandler, Managing Director at Bannockburn Global Forex. Hi, Mark. Hi. Good to be with you. Yeah, it's nice to see you. So uh, full disclosure, Mark and I go way back to when I first started covering markets when I was at Reuters. I'm not even going to tell you the year uh, (laughs) for both of our sakes, but uh, it's it's great to have you on, Mark. Thanks. It has been such a long time. It's really remarkable just how the industry works, uh, eats people up, churns them out. <laughs> and yet there's some people who are able to survive in various ways over the years. Yeah. And the and good thing, because, you know, when that happens, you've got all that good experience um, and we need it now. Right. I mean, we have to go back a long time to see the kind of volatility we've been seeing, especially in currencies. It's been pretty extraordinary, which, of course, is your wheelhouse. So um, let's start with the U.S. dollar. The, you know, everyone for, for months and months, we we're talking about the dollar wrecking ball, the dollar wrecking ball. But we have seen it weakening over the last few sessions. Does it feel like the top's in for the dollar, or is just is this just a pause? Oh, no, I think the dollar is in the process of topping. And I'd say the currency I feel the most confident has bottomed is the British pound. Excuse me, fighting this upper respiratory thing. Oh, yeah, but full disclosure, Mark and I are both dying, but we were committed to being here for you. So we're both going to be sort of coughing. I'm sure many of you are experiencing whatever variation of flu or cough um, we're all dealing with. I mean, that's just adding to the lovely fall that we're having between the markets and the sickness, Mark. I don't know yeah. what we have a lot to complain about, but we're gonna we're gonna power through. So you, yeah, you so feel pretty I'm, good. You p- feel pretty confident about that call about the dollar. Yeah, I mean, here's what happens. You know, it's, and this is what we were talking about before too. Is important experience. You know, when sterling got down to like 103 and a half at the end of September, capital went on strike. They pulled their money out of the UK. They didn't like the plans that the government had. And this government, uh, the, the prime minister, Trust, she had run her campaign to become the party leader. And she won among the people on her pro-growth fiscal expansion strategy. But when the market rejected it, and you know, I was on some other, I uh, won't mention the names of the shows and stuff, but people were talking about uh, the UK being a third world country. Yeah. The Economist magazine had this little quip about brittly. And I thought that uh, experience-wise, that this is the kind of psychology that is often marks an extreme, like back in 2008, that famous model who wanted to get paid in euros because the dollar was worthless, picked the bottom of the dollar. And so I thought this was the same thing happening. And, you know, Sterling bottomed at about 103.50, and we were up above 120 yesterday. Wow. That's a move. It's an incredible move. And and to your point about the volatility, the second currency I feel pretty strong has bottomed is the Canadian dollar. I had been looking for the U.S. dollar to get to 140. We stopped just shy of that. And I think that uh, it, it, looks, it looks to me like from a like technical perspective, it's turned. And it, these things have, all have one thing in common, I think. And that is that the market feels more confident 
that sees the end, excuse me, end of the, end of the light, the end of the tunnel. And that tunnel is Fed tightening. And the market feels pretty confident that even though they don't know for certain, but it looks like the Federal Reserve will get done tightening either late Q1 or Q2 next year. And the Fed funds target rate will be between four and three quarters and five and a quarter percent. Mm. And the market feels confident with that. And with inflation looking like it's easing, the market, I think that's like the last leg of the dollar is being removed. So it's so interesting because, it, you know, you, you when you look at just today and you're looking at the U.S. economy, we had Fed Governor Mary Daly saying a Fed pause is off the table. So the Fed is still trying to present itself as hawkish. Retail sales in October were strong. The Atlanta Fed thinks GDP is going to be 4.4% in the fourth quarter. Yeah. So there are all these indications that still look at a strong, strong, looking like a strong U.S. economy. Is the market just looking past all that? Oh, for sure. I think this is one of the the great things about the markets, one of those functions that I think people don't appreciate because oftentimes it's like, that's where buyers and sellers come together. This is where we could like speculate on what's going to happen. But excuse me, instead, I think the markets are a great anticipatory mechanism. They're expecting, they're looking beyond. This is why we have in this market, you know, sometimes we talk about buy the rumor, sell the fact. You're anticipating something that happened. You take a position accordingly. You look at thinking that Amazon's earnings or Apple's earnings are going to be X. And you take a position, and when the news comes out, if you're right, other people come in and buy it, and then you can sell it to them at a profit. Buy the rumor, sell the fact. And I think that just illustrates the how the markets are. We don't trade on today. In fact, I think many of us who are involved in the markets on a day-to-day basis are really living a day, two days, two weeks into the future. Yeah, we 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 did see that sentiment coming up. I noticed a tweet uh, we were talking about, the team was talking about from Jurian Timmer. Uh, saying not to spoil the fun of last week's rally, but the earnings picture continues to weaken with 75% of companies in the S&P 500 seeing estimate downgrades. Based on the shape of the yield curve, this could get worse before it gets better. Everyone's looking ahead, but there's a lot of discrepancy about just how weak things are going to get, Mark. Does that tie into whether the dollar, whether this is a little bit, I guess maybe how low the dollar can go? Yeah, so I think that the uh, the earnings are part of the picture, but I think that typically what I find is that earnings bottom a couple of quarters before the economy does. Remember what happened in 2020? We're, we're like shocked with COVID. The economy is horrible and the stock market rallies, not because of current earnings, not because of what was going on currently, but because we looked past the immediacy and we knew that like the return of our money, the return on our money takes place. It, it's like changes over time and we can look that sort of this is like the sort of the, the worst economic news once that's priced in then we can look forward and i think that's what we're trying to do yeah the timing is hard though right the timing of of knowing exactly when these things happen i think is always tricky i mean we get a lot of questions have equities bought you know bottomed has, is the bottom in is this now you know are we going to see uh a recovery but hard when you're you know, on the one hand, talking about maybe the Fed pausing it, but then we've got all of this near-term profit warnings and earnings to to get through. Mark, does, uh, is a weaker dollar constructive for equities? Well, I, I, I think it, it, it varies. I think it matters how you, how you approach it. But I do think that timing the market is difficult no matter who's doing it. And so I think most people are probably advised not to try to time the market, but to really be value investors looking for stocks or assets 
below what you think is fair value. So it's not like you're greater fools there. You got to find someone who's stupider than you to buy the stock from you. You just want to go to back to fair value and you'll be able to make money. But I do think that a lot of corporates have been complaining that the strong dollar hurts their earnings when they translate back into dollars. Excuse me. I don't know why I'm coughing and you're not. But the, uh, <laughs> I, I, I will soon. Don't, don't tempt me. <laughs> but I, I do think that the uh, that ultimately what's driving the dollar now is not really the stock market, but it's really about interest rates, Fed policy. And so I, and I think that because the dollar is so overvalued, and by overvalued is another point that we're talking about with experience, typically the major currencies don't get plus or minus more than 20% away from fair value by the OECD's model of purchasing power parity. And yet the euro and the yen uh, at their worst were about 45% undervalued. So I think that, that there probably are, well, we already see this in the private equity space where these companies are looking at European and Japanese assets because as the currency goes back to towards fair value, it's a big, it's a big uh, uh, like headwind for you. Like, excuse me, tailwind helping your overall return on your investment by the currency, giving you that kicker. But I think that the opposite works too. That uh, So for dollar-based investors, it might be better opportunities looking at European uh, and Japanese equities and, uh, and some emerging markets as well. I mean, what a year we've had where the emerging markets, some of them, especially in South America uh, or Latin America, Mexico, uh, Brazil, Chile, uh, excuse me, Brazil and Peru, those currencies, uh, leaving aside the Russian ruble, have actually appreciated against the dollar this year, yeah. while all the major currencies are down. Yeah, it's a completely different story. We've been talking, that's a theme that has come up with almost everyone we've talked about, the resilience in the face of what has been a really trying year and really difficult market, the resilience of, of emerging markets. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Um, I want to I want to come back to that in a minute, but very interesting. So if the dollar is really, really influenced by interest rates in the Fed. My, my colleague Roger Hurst has been looking at that relationship um, between the Fed, particularly whether the Fed can finish the job um, and then and then the impact of the dollar. Let's have a listen to that clip. But the problem is if the, if the dollar pulls back too much, financial conditions loosen again, and that could put upward pressure on prices. What you don't want is commodity prices suddenly rebounding and we got a big rebound. Gold has moved higher, copper, has moved higher. And as we saw with that Harbor Diesel, New York Harbor Diesel versus PPI in the US, what's the risk there if we have a pullback in the dollar? If we have expectation that growth will pick up, then diesel prices could go up once more. And then that month on month change in CPI gets pressured to the upside again. The Fed will not have got a full lid on prices. So this is why an early pivot could be dangerous because a pivot too soon could risk the credibility of the Fed and the ability to keep a lid on price. And that full video of Roger breaking down the Fed is on our website. Um, Mark, I mean, he brings up a good point. You know, if we see the dollar reverse too much, 
doesn't that sort of work against what the Fed's trying to do and 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 loosen up financial conditions? Yeah, I mean, this is the, this is the, the the challenge both of monetary policy and as, for investors is that as we look toward the future, we're doing uh, the, the Federal Reserve is acting in the now, present inflation, inflation expectations still elevated, and we in the market are looking toward the future. And so yes, so. Uh, when you think of financial conditions, it's, it's really like just this this buzzword almost on Wall Street now. What it's in financial conditions? The dollar is part of it. Interest rates are part of it. House prices are part of it. Equities are part of it. I think the dollar generally plays a small. I mean, everybody's got a different model for it. I think I, I think we got a chart of the, uh, the of the Bloomberg model of uh, financial conditions, and you can see how it has drifted down. Uh, uh, in the last, in, you know, the Fed's been raising rates since March, but most recently it has ticked up, but it still is generally trending lower. And so I think that why the Federal Reserve says things like, well, we might have to slow down the pace of hikes, but we're not done yet. They keep pressing, uh, we're not done yet, and that they've got, uh, uh, that they, they're going to stay high for a while. They want to keep driving home that message. And so uh, I, I think that, you know, there's this adage about not fighting the Fed. I think that's what we're trying to do when we try to pick a bottom of the stock market. We try to pick a top of the dollar when we're buying risk assets. We're saying the Fed is almost done and they might not know it yet. Yeah. Um, by the way, if you have any questions, you know the drill. You can drop them in the chat, uh, put them in the comment section on the website, or you can tweet us at Real Vision. Um, we'll get to as many as we can. Um, so, Mark, let's let's take a look at what, what is happening for the Fed um, because – you know, we, we can sort of see every time there's, we saw it with the inflation data, every time there's a little bit of signs of weakness, people are, whether they're talking about a pivot now, everyone's like, okay, maybe it's not a pivot, maybe it's a pause. And they say they know the Fed's, you know, the Fed comes out and bats that down, but you can see the market reaction. Everyone is waiting for that to happen. What are you expecting from the Fed? I know you've been looking at some spreads in the bond market and the Fed funds futures. Yeah, so so for me, part of the challenge is, I'm, so many people like in, like market observers, investors, they try to think about what the Fed ought to do. I've given up on what they ought to do. I, for me, it's challenging enough to figure out what they will do. And so I find that the Fed funds futures, they're kind of an interesting futures contract because it's the largest futures contract in the world. Five million dollars notional value. But you know, when you buy a stock, you're buying $100 worth of stock, the Federal Reserve says you've got to put up $50 of cash. You can get that margin, but it's a two to one. But in, so it's a down payment towards your purchase. But in the futures market and also the cash currency market and cash market, the, 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 the margin money you need is not based on what you're buying. It's based on, in fact, volatility, which is in some ways to say your margin money is a down payment toward your future loss, which is how much money you could lose in a short period of time before me, your banker, or your broker can liquidate your asset. So you or I can control this $5 million notional Fed fund futures contract for a few thousand dollars. Can't lose much money. But the very, the very big indication of what the market's expecting, and here's what I think the market's expecting. First, that the Fed funds go up 50 basis points next month. In the September dot plot, the Federal Reserve had said 120, the median dot was for 125 basis points. They've delivered 75. So 50 is really the base case. And then we look into next year. And next year, the market is, the Fed funds futures are doing a couple of things that are noteworthy. One is they say that between the, uh, in the first half of the year, it's going to go up another 50 basis points. And it looks like two 25 basis point hikes. 
what the market's trying to figure out is when is the top and at what level is the top? Mm. And right now the market's saying the top looks most likely to come in Q2, close to 5%. But, and this I think to your point about sort of the market sort of resisting the signals from the Fed, what I also do is look at the September contract compared to the December contract in next year. That was, so that's end year. of year now, that's end, end of, of year. year. End of next year, from the September, from sort of uh, Q3 to Q4. And that is showing you that the market's pricing in more than 25 basis points of rate cuts. That is to say, the market says, fine, the Federal Reserve raises rates until uh, sometime in Q2, pauses for an extended period of time, and then towards the end of next year, cuts rates. And I think this is what's uh, like animating the market and animating risk-taking. Yeah. So, I mean, but, but for that to happen, you know, to go from rate hikes to rate cuts means something bad's happened. means we're either really slowing down or something else is blown up that they feel like they've got to. So let's go with the former, which is hopeful, you know, but still, then you're looking at a recession. Yeah, I think that, I think you're right. I think when people like me say things like uh, the federal raise rates till something breaks. So one of three things has to break. The labor market, that is, we see a big jump in unemployment, doesn't look like it's imminent. Second thing that could break is inflation can really fall. And I think we're going to see falling inflation, but not back to the 2% target. Uh, I think that we'll be lucky to get below 5%. And the third thing that could break, and this is what broke last time when the Federal Reserve stopped the unwinding of the balance sheet, structural or systemic risks. Basically, the banking system is running out of reserves. And so the market is betting that I think, you know, when you look at forecasts for economic growth and people are using all kinds of things, uh, forward-looking indicators, orders, like in the, uh, say, the Empire State Survey, the Empire State Manufacturing Survey, a big drive up of, of orders. That's the pipeline of growth. And so I think the market, between the yield curve inversion, between this drying up of orders, uh, between this accumulation of Fed tightening, fiscal tightening, strength of the dollar, market is saying that something's going to break and the economy is going to go into, say, a genuine contraction as opposed to what we saw in the first half of this year, which is really about businesses struggling with supply chains, managing, <laughs> managing inventories. I feel like I'm killing you, Mark. I can't keep you. I, I think you sound worse than you feel. Yeah, <laughs> but sure, as I'm sure. listening to this, I feel like there are people who are like, oh my God, this poor guy. Um, we, we we appreciate you powering through this. No, I'm really I'm really fine. It's just, it's only it's only when I'm, I'm talking that I'm. I'm I know it's like a tickle. It's one of those <laughs> annoying tickles. I know, as somebody who gets allergies around this time of year too, um, I I sympathize with you. So, at the risk of oversimplifying this, is the dollar topped because the fundamentals in the U.S. are going to get worse, or is it just that the weakness? in the pairs, whether you're talking about the pound or the euro, was just overdone to such an extent that you're having a normalization. Yeah, I think it's really a combination of both. What's interesting is that in the futures market, so in the cash market, it's hard to tell who's long, who's short. But in the futures market, people have to, non, non, there's non-commercial positions. Those non-commercial positions have been anticipating a bounce in the euro. They are long. As of last Tuesday, the latest data we have, they're long the most amount of euro contracts since the middle of last year. So I'd say a couple of things happened. One is the market's anticipating some news to turn the dollar. They positioned for it. And now we're beginning to get that news. 
they're gratified. And I think that's what we really see in the last couple of days. You know, when, the, uh, when that missile hit Poland yesterday, a tragedy in Poland for sure. And the markets, the, the market took the euro down two cents yeah. within a couple of hours and it <clears> bounced <throat> all the way back. So in a, earlier this year, I'd say a two cent pullback in the euro, people are gonna be selling it, it's gonna crash. But this time people took, instead of like selling into rallies of the euro, people mm. were buying dips. And I think that's an important like, uh, so to your point about what drives the market, besides like Fed policy and all these other like- Psychology. Things, psychology, I really think yeah. that's what it comes down to. And partly psychology, how do we interpret psychology if we're not shrinks? But partly it's market positioning and how they respond, how the markets respond to developments. Yeah, it's it's interesting because when you look at the fundamentals of both Europe and the UK, they're horrible. They're horrible. And the so, UK, so I mean, like you know, intuitively, people are listening to this and saying, "Why would these currencies be strengthening? Why would people be long these currencies?" Because the fundamental outlook is for a very severe recession. We still have an energy crisis. We still have political uncertainty in the UK. You know, there's a lot of reasons to be negative. Those economies. Yes, I know that's a, that's the an amazing thing. I mean, is that it's when things look so bad that, that the risk-reward changes. And so I'm a bit concerned right now just how, how fast, excuse me, the currencies have rallied. That is the risk-reward there yet to really buy these currencies again. Yeah, so okay. I, I kind of thought that we're in for a period of consolidation, but we're very firm still. You know, these pullbacks are very shallow mm. and they come back. And so it tells me that there's a lot of people who are still very, I mean, how did people make money for, since... Uh, the, the ironic thing, the euro uh, bottoms and the dollar index, uh, excuse me, the dollar index bottoms, the euro tops out January 6th, 2021. When our friends are uh, going on in Washington, that was the same day that the dollar bottoms and it's been rallying more or less since January 6th, mm. 2021. And so it's when things look the darkest that uh, people who have, uh, it's sort of like watching those poker games on TV. The, the person with the small staff is at a disadvantage. That's most of us. Yeah. Small stacks compared to the hedge funds, the banks. And so if, that, if those big stacks of money that can make, that can move all in or move in in a way to try to pick that bottom and have deep pockets that can withstand being a week or two weeks or a month early. Yeah, that's so interesting. They're really looking out past all of this, it sounds like you're saying, and just saying that those were historic lows. We're not going to see them again. Is that the bet they're making? I think so. I, I think especially, I mean, we see that with the euro. That's like, I think they're long about 170,000 contracts in the futures market. Uh, but I think that's like, so you say, well, how can the dollar top out when this news is still so good? And I think this, <laughs> I think that's why, is that looking really past this, trying to see what's the next, we already know what the, the thing is. Now what's mm -hmm. the new, what's the next thing? Yeah, it's, that's so interesting, Mark. Um, so We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-ads.com. So we have a, we have a couple of questions. Um, Christopher asking, from its recent high at 120.40, how far does Mark think the British pound can pull back before resuming a significant uptrend? Yeah, that's a good question. I think that's the right way to think about it is like, uh, how, where can I buy on the pullback? And 
so a couple of levels to keep an eye on, I think. Uh, 116.50, 117.50. And if we were to go below 115 again, I think we'd have to really reconsider about the depth of that correction. Uh, but I, I think we, I think that's the kind of idea, what kind of pullback. And I'd be looking at those. It sounds kind of like uh, numerology when I put it into words. But it's looking at those like Fibonacci retracements, looking at moving averages, uh, things like that. They just give you some a gauge about the magnitude of a pullback to look for. Yeah, that, that's why people have been doing those technicals because they they, they hold. Um, Ape is asking, what is your view of the yuan, yen, and Swiss franc right now? So that's a that's a triple question, but. <clears throat> yeah, so I think uh, I, maybe the Swiss franc might be the easiest. It does really whatever the euro does, but a little bit more. They're going to raise rates probably in the middle of December. Uh, what's interesting, I think, is that last week when we had this big move against the dollar, the Swiss franc and the yen were the strongest. They were up, I want to say, like five and three quarters percent or so. So <laughs> the Swiss... <laughs> The Swiss has been a funding currency like the like the Japanese yen has. And by funding currency, I mean, as individuals, when we look at it, we, we think about, well, what we can buy, because we're going to use our money to buy something. But that's not the way the smart money, the big money thinks about it. What they will do is, if don't, it's, it's always about OPM, other people's money. And so what they do, in effect, is you borrow the yen, you sell the yen, and you buy a higher yielding asset, like U.S. Treasuries or the dollar, or Brazil, or Mexico. That was one of my favorite trades was short yen, long Mexico. And as we get out of those trades, though so in this case, we had to get out of the yen or the Swiss franc leg. We, so we, we have to buy those currencies back. They strengthen, and we have to liquidate what we bought. And last week, the Mexican peso, which is one of the darlings of the market this year, was the weakest of the currencies in the world because people were, uh, like myself- uh, Unwinding that short, trade. Unwinding the trade, short yen, long Mexican peso. So I think the Swiss franc, uh, as a low-yielding currency, it's like a funding currency. You got to be careful; it's not just fundamentals. But the Swiss are going to be raising uh, interest rates probably middle of next month. That, that was terms- that was really important. That was really important, Mark. Thank you for walking everyone through that because you can't just look at. For, for we, West, uh, my colleague Westenoy says you can't just talk about the dollar; you have to talk about the pair, right? Because it's different yeah. against each. And then I think you just made a really great point when you're looking at a currency; it's not always about that economy or the or, or originating country it's about whether this is a common commonly used in carry trades and other um other trades that you need to watch out for if they're unwinding yeah i mean that, that in the market it's not yeah the, the trade is a structure not just one part of a yes. position yes that's that's really really important as opposed to when you're looking at something like an equity um do you want to touch on the yuan really quickly as we as we start to ra- wrap up um that one may be hard to tell but what what's your view on china because um, I mean, it's a black box, so let's just say that first. Very hard to know yeah, what's yeah. actually going on. But do you, you know, there has been some anticipation that now that she's got his term and moved on, we saw him and Biden meet, that maybe we're going to kind of see some opening up, and you know, it's going to be it's going to be bullish. I don't know. What do you what are you thinking? Yeah, and I, I think that there's another way, of, another place for psychology to play such a big role. The market wants to believe China is rolling back its COVID policy. The market wants to believe it's taking steps to support the property market. They're going to work. Look at the uh, Hong Kong stock market where a lot of Chinese stocks are listed. I want to say it was like up like 17% last week. Oh, my goodness. These the moves market. are crazy. I was I was in Barcelona, but my, my, my eyes were spinning in my head when I was looking at some of them. Yeah, and I think the market also wants to believe that uh, she and Biden have have like uh, decided to like take a big step away from the edge of the abyss. But I, I'm skeptical on, on all that. Partly, I think. I'm skeptical because 
I want to see a change in behavior. It's not good enough that uh, Biden and she shake hands and smile at each other and draw their red lines. Is there going to be a change in behavior? And I'm not convinced there will be. I'm quite concerned still that uh, both sides have a deep, profound mistrust for each other over things like Taiwan, human rights. You know, it's, it's, it's really remarkable. You know, the U.S. is always giving China a hard time about human rights. And yet here in the U.S., it's hard to send, it's hard to be, as a parent, uh, send your kids to a school, even grade school, high school, colleges, without having to be worried about some like gun shooter or something yeah. like that. You know, yeah. and, and so, so I think that... Uh, uh, from China's point of view, I think that Amer what we think about globalization is really Americanization. And we need to be careful. And I don't think that either side has enough trust for each other to really build to build something to change behaviors, whether it's the U.S. Uh, I mean, how many times has President Biden said something about the U.S. defending Taiwan and then the White House walks it back? Yeah. So I think conf confusing signals. But I, I think that I, I, it's ironic that I won't even say this, but I, I kind of think maybe Henry Kissinger is right after all. That the, uh, that the U.S. and China are on the foothills of a Cold War. And I'm not sure that a handshake, the first meeting in uh, two years, it really changes that very much. But I'd say about the currency, besides your point that it's very opaque, that as we sit here today, I was just running these correlations, that how do we know what China is going to do or wants to do with the currency? I say, leave aside intentions. They're too murky. Uh, motives are unknown. But what I find is right now, the dollar dollar yen, Japanese yen, and the RMB are the most correlated right now than they've been in more than a decade. Yeah. And same thing with the Chinese currency and the euro, more correlated they've been for about a decade. And so what that tells me is that if the dollar is going to be generally strong, it's going to strengthen against the Chinese currency. And when the dollar turns, if we're right, then we might have, we, we'll probably see a turn and a strengthening of the RMB. Fantastic stuff. Um, Mark, it, it, first of all, a round of applause for powering through this. <laughs> we so appreciate appreciate you because I know it's hard when you're trying to talk and you're and you're coughing. But my takeaway from listening to this is that we're at a pivot point. We're at a pivot important point where we're going to see a reversal of some of these really extreme moves that we made in currencies. Um, some of it due to fundamentals and, and anticipatory fundamentals in Fed policy when it comes to the dollar, but some of it just um, psychology and some. Big money, big long, long hands saying, I think the historic bottom's in. It was overdone. Things might be a mess. But again, looking ahead, um, we might see a bottom for some of these currencies that were so under pressure. Is that fair? Yeah, I think so. I, I think that's a fair way to, uh, is to recognize the importance, not just of, of course, you know, as investors, we're always looking at uh, growth and interest rates, inflation, all the macros, but we often forget about the role of psychology, the role of yeah. expectations. Very important. It certainly is. Mark, it was fantastic to see you. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks to all of you for the great questions. We'll be back same time tomorrow. In the meantime, take care and good luck out there. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, Head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.